the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. We close our week together. That's the way it ought to be. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church, questions about heaven. Whatever's on your heart, all you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, where you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, and we've been getting a lot of questions that way. It's always a little more interesting when you call, but we'll handle it either way. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple of things, and then we'll get right into the questions. Uh, This will be my last program for a week because uh, Paul and I are going on a very, very short vacation break next week. Pastor Ken uh, we'll be doing the program uh, live next week, and uh, May will be with him on the Date Day show on Thursday. So continue to tune in and call him and ask questions. Uh, he'll have a blast with it. So that's coming up. And uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to finish Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to do my best. And this is a place where I always feel a little bit inadequate, but I'm going to do my best to um, prepare the people in the church, the people who've been coming to these studies for the rest of the book of Revelation. You know, tonight we're in heaven. When we come back two weeks from tonight, um, we're, we're going to be on earth in the worst destruction um, in the history of the world by far. Uh, and, you know, in the book of Revelation, we all get excited about the things future and all of the, the weird things that happen. Um, but believe me, it gets very, very tiring. Judgment is tiring, and uh, I'm going to do my best to prepare our church for that tonight as we move ahead in the book of Revelation. Okay, well, let's get to some questions, um, and we'll see what comes up. Uh, This one is anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, Do Jewish people go to heaven or hell since they don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? I've heard Christian pastors preach and teach that since Jesus was Jewish, the Jewish people have a pass to heaven. Pastor Hagee from Cornerstone Church, along with other churches, would constantly talk about giving to the Jewish people and supporting their mission because they are chosen by God. I don't know what to make of this. Can you clarify? You know, Anonymous, this actually brings up something that's really, really sad to me. Um, um, There are pastors, Pastor Hagee is one of them, who are very vocal about supporting a non-proselytizing ministry to Jews. Uh, Pastor Hagee has actually raised tons and tons and tons of money uh, for Israel and for Jewish causes. Um, But the thing that he's 
missing out on is that we want the Jews in heaven. And the only way that can happen is if they're born again. So to answer your question, Jewish people, all people go to hell if they're not born again, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Um, It doesn't matter what Christian pastors say. It doesn't matter what their motive is. Paul makes it impossibly clear in in the book of Romans, Romans 9 in particular, that uh, apart from Jesus Christ, Jews are going to be perishing in eternal torment. And he said, I'm going to give up, I'd be willing to give up my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. But Jesus said to Jews, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Anonymous, when we find people who are are um, misleading Jews by promoting ministries that say they don't need to be born again. It's almost like they've got a different covenant. But but Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. It's done. It's gone. And now there's a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. So don't be fooled. They need Jesus to go to heaven. Uh, you must be born again. Jesus told the most Jewish man, um, in in Jerusalem, that was Nicodemus. So these are ministries that are not healthy and they're not balanced. Um, Israel as a nation was chosen by God. Individuals, no matter what their religious background is, individuals must choose God themselves. And of course, as I said, the only way to do that is in Christ. Here is another anonymous uh, email question. Uh, Hi, Pastor. I'm under the impression that the Holy Spirit came upon us during Pentecost. However, when Simeon in Luke chapter 2 dedicated Jesus to the Lord, Simeon said the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. Can you please explain? Thank you. Yeah, now remember, Jesus' ministry was Jewish. Uh, I have another comment about that in just a moment. But Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish. So the Jewish understanding of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit we know came upon David, the Holy Spirit came upon even Samson uh, with his carnal lifestyle. Uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon the prophets as they would other other the mysteries of God. So the Holy Spirit has always been active, but in a completely different um, uh, uh, manner. Um, Jesus the risen Christ breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. And then the explanation is the Holy Spirit to that point had not yet been given. Now, he still visited Jews. He still visited others. Balaam is a good example. Um, he visited others uh, to, to perform supernatural feats or to, to accomplish the will of God. But, but Jews did not possess the Holy Spirit in the way that we do. I mean, David, with all of his beautiful writings, that was the pen of, of God, the Holy Spirit pushing, pushing David's pen, writing those songs in his heart. But that was the Holy Spirit coming upon them. You and I, because we're born-again believers, the Holy Spirit comes in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Old Testament saints, Anonymous, had no understanding of that possibility. I mean, if, if we think about all of the, the miracles that, that some of the Old Testament saints did, uh, Moses, who, who, who spoke with God as a man would speak to a friend face to face, he couldn't even begin to understand the intimacy that we as New Testament Christians have in these last days. And every, uh, you can go through Hebrews 11, that, that entire hall of fame of faith, Every one of those men and women would have eagerly changed places with us in an instant just for this kind of intimacy. So the Holy Spirit moved Simeon. The Holy Spirit moved Anna in the same thing. We remember that the Holy Spirit caused John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb. And he was filled with the Spirit at that same time. But until Jesus, the risen Christ, breathed on his disciples and received the Holy Spirit, That's a whole new thing that God was doing. Now, relative to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that was the Holy Spirit not being given. He'd been given prior to that to his disciples and those that we call apostles. 
But this was the Holy Spirit making his grand entrance into the world. So the Holy Spirit was given. And when he came, he came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. He came with cloven tongues of fire. And he came with power and moves on the people to speak with other tongues. So um, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the, uh, the day of Pentecost, that was just a once forever entrance initiating the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in this world. One other comment, Anonymous, remember what the work that he came to do was, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to testify of Jesus. And that's exactly what he did on the day of Pentecost and what he's been doing ever since. So I hope that answers your question, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. Here is another anonymous one from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, when Jesus was baptized and the dove descended and God's voice was heard declaring, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you think it was for confirmation to those around them or for Jesus as a loving reminder from our father? You know, um, I, I don't think that voice was for the people around him. Uh, it's clear that, that on, the, on a couple of occasions we heard this, that some didn't, they, they heard the voice, but they couldn't understand it. I think this was just the Father saying to Jesus, you're doing well. You're accomplishing your my will for, for, for the world. You're accomplishing my will for your life. And this is my son. And I think at those different stages, as as that annunciation was made, I think it was Jesus just being told by his Father, you're perfect, you're without sin, you're staying the course. And we know Jesus, he was a man, he got discouraged, and these would be times when he was encouraging his son. And imagine how proud he was of his son. Wonderful, wonderful idea there. So I that that's my my perception of it anyway. Let's go to Lucy on line one from Universal City. Lucy, thanks for calling and please accept my forgiveness for having you on hold so long yesterday and we missed your call. Oh, thank you, Pastor Ron. You don't need to worry about that. I was the one that hung up because I had a dinner date with my husband and I knew that I couldn't stay on the line. So that was nobody's fault but me, and uh, okay. thank you for always My pleasure, so Lucy. gracious. My pleasure. Uh, hey, by the way, I know your husband. Tell him that I'm worth being on hold for. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think he would agree until he finds that I haven't ordered for him yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the reason why I called yesterday and it, seemed to be a theme uh, developing about how uh, devotion and transparency and being open-hearted to welcome people into the church, and it, it seemed like that was the theme in my heart, and when I heard you talking about that on the radio show, I thought, oh, I've got to call in and chime in and say thank you so much, because when we first came to Calvary Chapel, we felt that absolutely. It was so amazing how welcomed we felt at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And since <laughs> then, we made that our church home. Um, uh, that was yesterday. Now, today, I wanted to make a comment. Um, you've repeated several times how when you know, absolutely know, that the Lord is leading you down a path and you are obedient to that path, that God will provide and, and that we, we do need to take steps of faith and follow what God is telling our hearts. And I just want to say thank you so much about um, all the prayers over all of our issues in the past and and how amazing God is covering us every step of the way mm -hmm. and just really multiplying our joy. Uh, I just wanted to encourage everyone, whoever is um, needing to take that step of obedience, 
before God that it's so important to bear all before our Heavenly Father and and how that goes without saying that if we belong to Him and we've um, accepted Jesus as our Savior, He is then has us in His hand and there's no safer place and there's no place more joyous and there's no place more a feeling of welcome uh, when we go to him. And that was my thought today. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Lucy. It has been an honor to be so deeply involved in you and Aaron's lives. And uh, I, I can feel the smile of God on your lives because of the steps of obedience and the steps of faith that you guys have taken. Thank you, Lucy. I appreciate it very, very much. I'd like to comment on a couple of things that Lucy said. Um, I think the thing I am most proud about, uh, and I mean in a godly sense, at least I hope I do, uh, uh, our church, we started off really friendly. I mean, it, it, it's... It, we were we were grateful to be there whenever we saw new people. We were grateful for them, and we wanted them to feel at home. Our announcer says, uh, uh, "If this is your first time, we hope you're feeling at home already." And and we've tried to make it like that. And I think the thing I'm most proud of, Lucy, is that even now, after 26 plus years, um, we are even more welcoming and friendlier and more loving than we were at the beginning. And that's the way it ought to be with Jesus. So thank you so very, very much for that. Let me also comment, Lucy, about your your statement that whenever you take the step of faith, God will provide your needs. And, and that provision doesn't always look like we think it's going to look. You know, I would like to believe that all I had to do was take a step of faith and then God's going to meet me with a big bag of money so we can do everything that, that he wants us to do. But one of the things that I've learned in all of these years is that every day is a new test. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It's required that every man, I will add woman, given a trust by God, must prove faithful. So it's not like you take that initial step of faith and then God says, Oh, I love them so much. Here's everything they need. God teaches us to trust him every single day. And every single day we have to walk by faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. So God always has us in a position where we really need to trust him. And that's one of the exciting things about what he's asked us to do here at Calvary Chapel. None of it makes any sense. And yet had we not been obedient, we would have missed out on so much. I can't even imagine getting to heaven and finding out that God had all these ministries, all these things that, 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 frankly, I never would have thought anything about. But can you imagine what we'd have missed out on if we didn't say yes? And God, I was talking with Paula this morning. God keeps stretching us and asking more. And the more he asks and the more we're obedient, the the, the more pleased he is and that's the one place that we want to be. We, we always need to be risk takers, not foolish, but risk takers following in the will of God. And then we've got to know that because God has provided in the past, no matter what circumstances look like now, he will provide for what we need now. And that's a wonderful, wonderful security blanket, knowing that Jesus will do that. Lucy, God bless you. Thank you so much for calling back today. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question again from our email inbox. Uh, and he or she says, I like this. I got the book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, that you recommended to understand the Jewishness of our Savior. I have to look up some definitions of words, but I'm really enjoying it. Seems the religious leaders were more about using the law for control. Some of the laws were so out there and strange. And then he says, I will be asking a lot of questions as I go through the book. Thank you for all of your wisdom. Hey, I'm so glad you got the book. And let me recommend it for everyone in the audience. It's The Life and Times of the Messiah. 
Uh, it is by Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. And from my perspective, it is an essential when it comes to studying the Gospels and, and, and the life and times of Jesus uh, as portrayed in those four Gospels. Uh, he, he does it chronologically. So he's giving you full pictures, but the idea is that there's there's the understanding of the meaning and the purpose. And I've said many times on this program that if you lose the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry, then you lose him in the process. Um, you know, we read things that he said and we think, that's impossible. Who could ask this kind of thing? But But remember, he had a very Jewish message. And um, uh, I just think the book is is invaluable. And it is difficult reading, um, but it's worth it. I've got a couple of copies here, and I can't even, with my handicapped helps, I can't even read it. The, the printing is so small. But, oh, what a rich, rich, rich book. When you say anonymous, it seems like the religious leaders were more about using the law for control. Um, and that some of the laws were so out there and strange. Remember the laws that were given by God to Moses. There was nothing out there and strange. Now, culturally, some of them are really strange to our ears. But all of them had a purpose. The problem with the religious leaders is that they were using the law to try to control others and enrich themselves in the process. And it was their interpretations and their variations of the laws that, that were really, really out there and strange. And part of it is because they believed that they were, I'm going to use a New Testament concept here, they believed they were saved by virtue of having the law. God chose us, he gave us the law, so we're going to try to find loopholes in it and try to just walk around the edges of it. And um, and you're right, they wanted to control the people. It's one of the reasons that Jesus was, was uh, opposed uh, so vehemently uh, because they wanted to control the people. They wanted to be in control. Jesus said, no, it is for freedom that I've come. And still today, Jesus tries to teach us freedom. All legalists are trying to control others. And that's what they were doing. But they, they had a complete misunderstanding of the law, what its purpose was, and how to use it. And no matter what Jesus tried to say or do to change their perception, they didn't get it because they didn't want to get it even though with their own lips they acknowledged their sin. But that was just the way Jesus really was. So thank you for getting the book, and believe me, you are going to love it. You're going to love it. Okay, we got four minutes left in this half of the program. Let's see what my next question is. This is from Jesse. Oh, I know. I wanted to do this, and this one I ended with yesterday. So this would be the last question for this one. Jesse said yesterday, and I, I touched on it briefly uh, at the end of the program, but Jesse said, how is partial obedience viewed by God? Jesse, partial obedience, I said to you yesterday, is is being disobedient. We need to be completely obedient to the Lord. When he speaks to our hearts, when we open the Bible and we see something, we're supposed to do it. I'll just give you a couple really Quick examples, if, if uh, use these words, if, we're, if we steal, then we're to steal no more. If we're partial obedience, we're only stealing a little bit. Well, we all know how that's viewed by God. It's viewed as sin, and, and, and as a result, we're separated from the Lord. But, but in this matter of forgiving others, uh, what if you only forgive them a little bit? In spite of the fact that God forgave you of everything infinitely more. God, we know, would view that as disobedience. And obedience matters a lot to God. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So partial obedience. Jesse, I had a uh, one of the most honest women I've had in more than 26 years here at Calvary Chapel um, some years ago, and she came to me and she said, you know, Pastor Ron, I'm doing pretty good. I think like 95% of what I know God wants me to do, I'm being obedient to. And then she asked me this question. She said, well, so if I'm 95% obedient, will I get like 95% of his blessings? And my response to her was, no blessings. If you're withholding something from God, you call him the Lord. You've put him in charge of your heart. Um, then, then the answer is, no, there's no blessings apart from 
being obedient to the Lord. He's either the Lord of your life or he's not. And the things that he asks us to do, like the rich young ruler who walked away said, uh, when we walk away being disobedient, we too are going to walk away from Jesus said. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It certainly doesn't mean we're not saved. But what it means is that God cannot bless a heart or life that is partially obedient. What he wants from all of us, Jesse, is simply to say, you're in charge. I'm not thy will, not my will be done in my life. And in order to do that, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in our Bible study tonight from heaven in Revelation chapter 5. He's the one who's worthy to be praised. He's the one to whom all honor and glory and power belong. And uh, there's only one relationship that has any value at all, and that's in an obedient, submitted relationship to Jesus Christ. And I think every one of us, Jesse, I think every one of us knows when we're holding back something from the Lord, we're the ones who are missing out. We have all the power of heaven at our disposal. Disobedience in any form, in any measure, robs us from the source of power. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week, 340-9585. Roger asks a question that I'm going to take a little bit of time with, um, at least until or unless somebody calls. Roger says, Pastor Ron, do you think COVID is part of the end time scenario? Roger, I've really wrestled with this. Uh, this is not the Great Tribulation. I want to be sh- clear. Everybody understands that uh, any more than the vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's nonsense. And the people who are promoting those ideas on social media need to read their Bibles and they need to be quiet, frankly. Um, but but the idea of COVID um, um it's sort of, in my thinking, like earthquakes. Um, Jesus said earthquakes will increase in intensity. Uh, we'll have weather extremes. Well, I think this idea with pestilence is pretty much the same thing. Jesus said these things are not the end, but they're the beginning of birth pains. If you've ever been, Roger, with uh, uh, your wife or, or a woman who's having a baby, uh, the birth pains come a long time before the actual baby is born. And um, and they start typically small, crampy, and uh, but, but then they get more intense as it gets closer to the time for the baby to be born. And I think that describes our end-time scenario. Uh, I do believe that COVID, like earthquakes and like weather phenomena and, and, and things, I think... These are things that God is using to get the attention of the people in this world. You know, what's staggering to me, Roger, is, is uh, I mean, if we just go back now 20 months, uh, none of us could have imagined how our world was going to change. We never would have dreamed that the world would have shut down and been locked up. We never would have dreamed that that the, the millions of people worldwide who have died as a result of this pestilence, uh, they, they would die. We, we, we could never could have imagined that. It would have been just a bad movie script, and, and nobody would have taken it seriously. Uh, we can say, well, God's trying to get our attention, and, and, and yet we ignore him, and so things keep getting worse. And I think what we're seeing with COVID, uh, along with the other phenomena that I spoke about, is the beginning of birth pangs. I think we're so close to Jesus' return that this is God sort of shaking people up. Now, the real tragedy here, Roger, is that 
um, in all of this talk worldwide from all of the leaders in the world, all of this talk about COVID and controlling it and all of the extreme measures that they've tried to take to control it, unsuccessfully, by the way, in all of this talk, we've never had a single world leader and very few church leaders, by the way, we've never had leaders say, uh, America, repent, uh, Russia, repent. China repent. We've never had 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 that message that was communicated. And and I think Roger that what God is trying to use this pandemic to accomplish is to get people to see two things. One that life isn't guaranteed to us. I mentioned a moment ago that we never could have dreamed the extreme measures the world would would undergo because of this pandemic. And yet we still haven't cried out to God for forgiveness. Personally, of our sin, we haven't owned the sin of the, of the leaders in the world, whatever part of the world. I think sometimes, Roger, we have a tendency in the United States to think that, that uh, the, 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 the spiritual realm sort of revolves around the United States. That's simply not true. But in no country has a single leader cried out for forgiveness. Why haven't we said this is from God? It's not that God's killing people or judging people, but he's trying to, to, to wake us up. It's like setting an alarm clock. Uh, if you need to get up really, really early, you set an alarm clock. And the reason you set the alarm clock is because you don't want to miss something. Well, well, this is like that setting of the alarm clock. And we know Jesus is coming, and yet we still are unwilling to confess our sin and make changes in our lives. And we're unwilling to do that on a personal level, individual level. Nor are we willing to do that. Have we expressed a willingness uh, to do that on a national or global scale? Instead, we get a bunch of smart people who have a bunch of PhDs and and they kind of get in this unholy huddle and try to figure um uh, what's what's going on and how can we stop it? And nothing that they've suggested has worked. It's time for Christians especially to say, God, we have sinned. This is our fault. And do what we can to turn to God and ask for forgiveness. Not a single world leader. I mean, I'm wondering where the king of Nineveh is. Even in wicked Nineveh, when the king heard the word of repentance, he demanded that the whole country repent. And judgment was spared from Nineveh for 80 years as a result. Not one world leader, not in the United States, not in any other country, has gone on television and said, America, we need to repent. Why do we suppose that is? Is it because our hearts have grown so hard that even in this kind of a trial, we don't turn to God? Even hardened heart, Israel, at some point, things would get so bad that they would cry out and repent and God would send a judge, a deliverer. But now, in the year 2021, we don't say, God, please forgive us. We've blown it. So, in that sense, Roger, I do think that, that COVID-19 is a part of the end-time scenario, but only as birth pains. Just the beginning of birth pains is what we're in now. And I think this is God trying to shake people to the core so that when judgment comes, when Jesus comes and the great tribulation that engulfs this world, they'll remember that those Christians said that this was going to happen. So, Roger, I really believe that, and I thought about this a lot. Um, you know, I don't want to be the guy, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I've been hesitant to say, this is a judgment from God. I think these are things that are just going to happen that God doesn't stop from happening because he's trying to get our attention. And I think, Roger, that's to our shame. So thank you for the question.
Here is another anonymous question. I have never heard from God like other Christians say they do. I feel like I'm missing out. Anonymous, if you haven't heard from God, you are missing out. But but let me say this. A lot of times we Christians, we sort of over-spiritualize things. And when we over-spiritualize things, um, the, the result, of course, is um, that we um, we get a little bit goofy in our theology, in our practice of theology. And so most of the time when you hear people saying, God spoke to me, or God said this, or God said that, um, I can tell you easily, without reservation, that if you don't know the Word, if you're not in the Word, God hasn't spoken to your heart. The people who say that God is speaking to them all the time, if they're not in the Word, they have no way to discern whether the voices they're hearing are from God or not from God. So if you want to hear from the Lord... Open your Bible. He'll speak to your heart. If you're looking to hear from him audibly, I think you're missing the whole point. You've got to want to pursue Jesus. He is the rewarder, the Bible says, of those who diligently or earnestly seek him. And I, I just think we've got to be realistic. A lot of times we say, God said this and God said that. We need to be much more careful about ascribing things to God that we're not sure actually came from God. So I want you to hear from the Lord, but it starts in the Word. And then later, as you sort of develop discernment, what's going to happen is God will begin speaking to your heart. And it will always be consistent with what the Word of God has said. He never contradicts himself. And I promise you, then you won't feel like you're missing out on anything at all. Good question. And for all of us as Christians, let's be really slow to suggest that God is speaking to us about this or God is speaking to us about that. Be very slow to take credit for that. Here's a question from Mindy from our mobile app. Did God speak to Moses and Noah audibly um, with... Moses, we know he did. Uh, we know because when God spoke, um, the, the whole mountain shook and, and the Israelites didn't want to go back. No, you, you go and talk to him. It was so frightening. And Mindy, if God spoke audibly to us today, that's exactly how it would be. It would be so earth-shattering that we, we couldn't even begin to comprehend it. Um, uh, I'm presuming that he spoke audibly to Noah when Noah was alone. Um, but 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 we don't know if it was audibly or or how God spoke to him. You know, in the Bible, we've got um, examples of, of God speaking in dreams and visions. Um, uh, in the New Testament, we've got the Apostle Paul actually being taken to heaven and shown around. Um, but but we we don't get that kind of detail with Noah. So I would presume he did. Uh, Noah would be very lonely, and God would be there. God always meets us where we need to be met. Uh, but but clearly God spoke to both of them. Um, Moses, we know audibly on occasion. Uh, to Noah, we don't know for sure. We just don't know for sure. Good question, Mindy. Uh, that's curiosity, um, and and. I love it when we ask those kind of questions, especially as our faith is growing. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is another anonymous question. I'm a celibate, same-sex attracted male. Do you think God can change my attraction to women? Uh, first, let me say, God bless you and thank you in your passion for Jesus Christ. Um, you're remaining celibate. And I've said on this program several times that God would give the gift of celibacy to any single man or woman who wants to honor God with their bodies. And, and it's not a gift that's forever. For some it is, but for most it's just when you need to be celibate. And if you're not married, you need to be celibate. And God will, will give you that gift. Um, the other thing uh, that I want to congratulate you for is, is placing Jesus ahead of the lusts of your flesh. Can you imagine how, God, how proud God is of you? Smiling at you because unlike this world that says, no, how I feel is, is my identification. Um, you're saying, no, I'm identified with Christ. So God bless you for this. He is proud of you. And hang in there. It's going to be a fight for the rest of your life in all likelihood. But you hang in there because Jesus is smiling at you. And you're a perfect example 
of the way that we're supposed to deal with our flesh in our singleness. So, God bless you. Having said that, um, I don't know the, the answer to the second question, or the, the question you asked. Do you think God can change your attraction to women? I don't know. I know, um, and not just a small sample size, a, a lot of people on both sides of this who God did not change their attraction orientation and others for whom he did. Now, why God would do it with some and not with others, I have no idea. That's that's not something that I'm even qualified to comment on. God has a plan for our lives, and we need to walk in that plan. But um, I, I can give you examples of people that were uh, same-sex attracted, uh, got saved, got born again, and Jesus changed them to, to uh, being uh, um, heterosexually uh, attractive, married, uh, some with children, and doing wonderful, and doing wonderful. Uh, I know others that uh, they're, they're, they still fight the same-sex attraction every single day. We live in a fallen world, and that's part of what it means to live in a fallen world. We're tempted to do things that we ought not to do. And in many cases, God leaves those, those temptations in our lives to give us opportunities to, to please him by passing those tests. So I don't know. What I do know for sure, Anonymous, is this. You can, with a grateful heart, make your request known to God. I think sexual intimacy is, uh, I think it's, it's a huge part of our lives. Um, I don't think it's something that God just would arbitrarily say, I don't want you to enjoy, but I want you to enjoy uh, I think this is something that we can, with a grateful heart, ask God to do. Uh, I believe God will do it sometimes. But even if he doesn't, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? Our God can save us. Our God will deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, and we've got to make a decision about who we're going to serve and who we're going to be obedient to. So thank you for your faithfulness to God. Hang in there and... Uh, you will be blessed. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. Hi, Jimmy. I'm kind of upset right now. Why are you upset, Jimmy? Because I don't want this bill passed where they're going to have, uh, they, they're allowing nine months for the, the abortion for nine months or something like this. And, I don't know. My heart goes out to the unborn child. Yep. Yep. You know, Jimmy, I was watching uh, all of the protests, even in our city. It was on the news this past weekend. They had, a, um, I guess, a a couple thousand people uh, downtown at a a, 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 what they called a pro-choice rally. Um, and, And all I could think about was these people with their cute slogans and marching in the street, and the only cause that they stand for is the, the, the right to murder children. Think about that. That's the cause of their life. That's, that's the hill that they're, they're planting their flag on. And how would we ever stand before God and justify that was the cause of my life? I want the right to murder unborn children. And yet we're so dishonest that we don't even frame it like that. No, this is a right to control my own body. It's interesting how many of those people, my body, my choice, uh, have a completely opposite view of the vaccine mandates that are being uh, hoisted upon us. So I I think it's horrible, Jimmy, and um, um, boy, the people are are so accountable. uh, How selfish it is to think my body, my choice, when you're depriving the right to life. We're guaranteed in our Constitution the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, without the right to life, there's no rights to any other benefits from this world. So, Jimmy, I agree with you, and it's sad. Now, let me say this. One of the things that we have to be careful of as believers is not to let our righteous indignation at these things become just indignation. And I think when we get angry, when we get depressed or discouraged or sullen, um, then we lose our righteous position 
the cause is righteous, but but individually we lose uh, the ability to say, well, well, now my anger is righteous or my indignation is righteous. And what we've got to do is we've got to continue to be a light in the middle of the darkness. And in this kind of darkness, the darkness, Jimmy, that we live in in this world, um, we've got to remember who's in control, who's on the throne. And we know that he's coming and he's going to set things right. And when he sets things right, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. What we need to remember is that we still have the responsibility to give thanks in all things. We still need to remember that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And I think sometimes, Jimmy, when we get angry about things or we see uh, things that are just as off as they are in the world that we live in. I think we lose that light and we lose that joy and we forget that God is still the one in control. So continue to be righteously indignant. Continue to pray for the unborn. Um, And remember that it's because of things like this that Jesus is coming soon. One other thought, Jimmy, and this is to everybody. Um, this morning as I was praying and taking a walk with Jesus, the, the, the thought kept coming to me uh, about our nation. Um, and, and whether this is the Holy Spirit or just me, I don't know for sure. But, but the one thing I believe that the Spirit was saying to me was that, that like Rome, the United States has sinned itself into insignificance. The most powerful and the wealthiest country that has ever been on the earth. The unbelievable blessings that we've enjoyed in a relatively short period of time, historically speaking. I mean, our nation's less than 300 years old. In a relatively short period of time, God has blessed us so abundantly, and the way we thank him is by sinning worse and worse and worse. It's just an amazing thing to consider. Jimmy, God bless you. I know your heart. It's hard to look up when you look out and see all of this filth and all of this sin. You see the hardness of hearts. I think what is a tragedy to me, Jimmy, is I see so many young women. And I wonder, how did they get like this? How did those little girls who grew up playing with dolls wanting to be mommies, how did they get like this? How did they get to the place where they decided that killing their unborn child is actually freedom? That's why I have to look up. That's why we have to look up. So, Jimmy, keep looking up. God bless you, man. Appreciate your heart. Okay, we are inside five minutes now, so let's get at least another question try to get to. Glenn says, Pastor Ron, is the church in Israel the same thing or are they different spiritually? Glenn, they're different. Israel is Israel and the church is the church, but um, they're not the same. Um, Only in Christ are two made one. And the way they're made one is that Jews become believers, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, and, and Gentiles become born-again believers in Jesus Christ. But, but the fact that the church is, is where God is working now, today, we're, we're in that gap between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel on the prophetic calendar. And, and because we're at that place, God is working through grace, um, through his church. Uh, but that does not mean that the promises to Israel are null and void. Um, God is going to fulfill all of those promises. That's why when the, this gap between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel is done, that's why God is going to turn his attention again to Israel, and um, and he is going to fulfill every promise that was made to Abraham, every promise that was made to David. And Israel will be Israel, and the church will be the church. Um And God's going to deal with them differently. The church is going to be taken out of here before the Great Tribulation. Israel is going to remain behind. And they will be persecuted in the extreme. 
But those who say that, that, that the church has replaced Israel and the promises of God, they are not honest intellectually in their approach to studying the Bible. Um, the church is the church and Israel is Israel and never the two shall cross uh, only in the blood of Jesus Christ. Does Israel, individual Jews, become a part of the church? The Apostle Paul, the most fervent Jew of all, the z- zealous Jew, um, crossed over and became an apostle planting churches. So um, they're not the same. The promises to Israel are not the promises to the church, and the promises to the church are not the promises to Israel. Good question. Let me see. How am I doing on time? Just under one. Just. About a minute. Let me see if I get a room. Here's one I can do. Ethan says, I know priests can't be married, but why is that since Peter was married as well as some of the other apostles who had wives? Um, Ethan, um, uh, the reason they say priests can't be married in the Catholic Church is because they have no understanding at all of their Bibles, period. They claim Peter is the first pope, and yet Peter, we know, was married. He had a mother-in-law. Jesus points that out in his ministry. Uh, I, I, I... it, it's just silly tradition, and unfortunately, it's a tradition that's caused a lot of pain, um, but there's just nothing about the Catholic Church that doctrinally makes any sense at all. So, Ethan, I hope that answers your question. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be closing Revelation chapter 5, our last moment in heaven before the Great Tribulation begins on earth. Uh, on Sunday, Pastor Ken will be teaching here uh, at Calvary Chapel. And uh, he will be on the radio program next week live. So give him some really hard questions. He's so much smarter than I am. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week on the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this has been the word to stand up for life. Uh, Pray for us on our trip. We'll see you when we get back. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.